best place you've ever watched fireworks on the 4th of July? Like actually on the day, where's, where's the best moment, best place you've ever done it? Mine was the Washington Monument in D.C. I was in Washington on July 4th. It was the summer before my senior year in high school, and I got to watch fireworks out by the Washington Monument. It was extremely cool. It was extremely loud. It was extremely crowded, and it was extremely smoky. I mean, really, I couldn't even see when it came time to leave. I couldn't see to get back to my hotel. There was so much smoke. It was super fun, though. It's estimated that 50 million people are traveling this weekend. Okay? That would be like emptying out every single person from Florida and Texas and sending them out on the road. That's, that's a lot of people. 50 million people. Some of those 50 million, more than likely, went to Washington, D.C. They're in our nation's capital. Now, if you were in D.C. today, what would you do? If you were in D.C., what would you do? Probably watch the fireworks, I'm thinking, you know. I would, if, if I were in D.C., I, I feel like that on this holiday weekend, it would be my patriotic duty as an American to go eat at Founder, found, I got to say this right, Founding Farmers Restaurant, the Founding Farmers Restaurant, okay? And I do think it would be my patriotic duty to sit down and order two appetizers before I order the rest of my meal, and those two appetizers would be, and I quote, glazed bacon lollipops and blue cheese bacon dates. I have no idea what those are, but I have no problem going on dates with bacon. Not a problem at all. I can do that. That's fine. I feel like it would be my civic duty to participate in, in that bacon in that restaurant right there, I think on Pennsylvania Street in D.C. Also, most of us, if we were in D.C. this weekend, we would go visit the more than 160 monuments and memorials that are there in our nation's capital. We would go visit these things because these places and these moments, these monuments, these memorials, they help us remember. They help us remember to learn. They help us to be humble. And they usually stir us to be thankful. They stir us to give thanks. Someone said this, memorials, we visit memorials because they honor history and they send a message. They, they send a message. What I'd like to do is to invite you with me to visit a memorial. It's a memorial, a unique memorial with a unique message. A unique message of freedom, a unique message of independence. A unique message about freedom for our nation, a, a timely message, a timely memorial for us as a nation, but maybe more importantly, a memorial and a message that would greatly impact your life right now. So, what is this memorial and what is its message? Well, let's find out together. Listen to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Why was the city lonely? Why was it empty? Was it 4th of July weekend, everybody left, went off on the holiday? Was there a hurricane evacuation and everybody had to leave? No, the city was empty because the city was destroyed. <laughs> you may be thinking, well, this doesn't sound like a message of freedom. It already sounds pretty depressing to me. Lonely city, nobody there, city was destroyed. Why am I here? Wish I was at the lake. Wish I was at founder founding farmers restaurant having a date having food don't want to be here for all this depressing stuff as c3po said to r2d2 please just stay with me 
Stay with me. We'll, we'll get there. The lonely city here in verse 1 is Jerusalem. And the whole book of Lamentations is the memorial that we're visiting. And the message that we're receiving through the lonely city of Jerusalem is this, that, that Jerusalem, the mighty city, the famous city, the holy city, Jerusalem was invaded. The whole city laid to, west, laid to waste. Houses, restaurants, government buildings, even churches, the, the temple of God in ruin and rubble. Jerusalem being destroyed, it was the kind of thing that people would say, well, well that could never happen. There's, there's no way that, that Jerusalem could ever be destroyed, but it did. It did happen, and history tells us it happened a little more than once. Some of our youths have attended or are attending White Knoll High School. I guess we've got at least one here. If you are on the sidewalk out by the road in front of White Knoll High School, and you turn and you look back this way, you'll see an amazing panoramic view of downtown Columbia. I mean, it's breathtaking. I, I see it every morning on my way to work. It's, it's fantastic. But imagine you're standing on that sidewalk, you're looking at that panoramic view, and it's a different view. You don't see the skyline, you don't see the tall buildings, they're all gone, and all you see on the horizon is thick, dark smoke. That's the kind of sad depressing picture we have here in Jerusalem in this moment in Lamentations. That's why we go to Holland Avenue. It's so depressing. Can't wait. Stay with me. We don't know for sure, but pretty likely that this book was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And sometime around 586 B.C., maybe 585 B.C., Jeremiah is standing out on the sidewalk and he's looking at the city and he's seeing destruction. He's seen that it's been laid to waste. He sees pain and suffering and destruction, and he begins to lament. The book of Lamentations is five poems of lamenting. And the first poem begins with these words that we see here. How lonely is the city. So what does it mean to lament? Well, 10 days ago, my nephew and his wife had their first child. It's the third great-grandbaby for my parents. And how did little baby Lee Craig enter into this world? Well, he entered the world like every single one of us enters the world. He entered the world crying. Now, we, we all cry, right? Somewhere there's some big macho guy maybe watching or here going, Oh, man, I ain't never cried a day in my life. Yeah, you did, Cupcake. We all did, all right? We all cry. That, that's how we begin. We all start off crying. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Brogop says this, To cry is human. To lament is Christian. So lamenting is a little different than crying. It's kind of like crying, but it's a little different. And it's uniquely Christian. Why? What makes it uniquely Christian? Well, because we're not just slobbering all over the place, you know? We're not sitting on the sofa crying and scarfing down a, a whole package of Oreos. We're, we're not out working in the shop, or we're not out playing golf, or working in the yard, or shooting a gun at the range, or doing whatever we do to try to blow off anger and blow off sadness. 
No, lament means that you turn to God. You, you turn to God. It's not just crying. It's turning to God. It's grieving and mourning toward God. Progop says there's four key characteristics we see in the Bible when it comes to lamenting. Here they are. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. You turn to God. You complain to God. You ask God. And you trust in God. If there's four things we really need to tattoo on our brain, four things that we need for our souls, it's these four things. Now more than ever, we'll need them for the rest of our lives, but, but we need them today. Turn to God. Complain to God. Ask God. Trust in God. The theme is God, God, God. You, you keep turning to God. That doesn't mean we can't turn to other people doesn't mean you don't find advice from other places. It just means that first and most, you take your turning to God. You take your complaints to God. You take your questions to God. And then you trust Him. And you trust Him. And you trust Him. Lamenting is uniquely Christian, which makes lamenting a unique freedom that we have as Christians. You are free to lament. You are free to turn to God. Jeremiah is lamenting. He's turning to God. He's, he's looking for help from God. He's complaining. He's asking. He's trusting. And he's taking these poems and he's writing them to the Lord as laments. And again, he begins by saying, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. Are you having a moment like that right now in your life? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling discouraged? Are you feeling defeated about something? Is, is there something happening in life right now that's creating fear or worry or stress or anger? Is it overwhelming you? What about things in our country? Is the state of things in our country, is it, is it creating some trouble for your mind? I came across this in my reading a few weeks ago. Our world today is the most unpredictable, turbulent, changeable, and dangerous world in which man has ever lived. Do you agree with that statement? That statement was written in 1969. It was an intro to a book that a friend gave me, and the name of the book is The Art of Living in the World Today by Wilfred Peterson. So, if that was 1969, we're kind of still there, right? So, so what about the art of living in the world today? What about the art of living in July 2021? How can we do life today? How can we live in this world today? Well, there's a few ways. We can spend lots of time on social media. We can spend a lot of time listening to talk radio, a lot of time watching news on the TV. We can pick up a lot of books from the store on every conspiracy theory that's out there, and we can keep being angry, and we can keep being afraid. Or we can spend a lot of time on social media and spend a lot of time listening to podcasts and spend a lot of time playing video games, spend a lot of time watching sports and home and garden and history and cooking shows on TV and and we can just kind of blow off things in the world. And we just keep running errands and keep shopping and 
keep playing golf and keep hunting and keep fishing keep going on holidays keep crushing candy on our phone you know we can, we can just keep doing stuff and we can kind of blow off what's happening in the world or or we could do something different we could lament we could look at everything that's happening in the world and, and we can begin to lament and, and grieve and, and mourn a little. Again, somebody might say, gosh, this, this thing's getting more depressing the longer you talk, Dal. I really wish I was at the lake. Now, I, I wish I was in the backyard eating ribs already. I wish I wasn't here. Stay with me. Just, just stay with me. We're, we're getting there. The great thing about lamenting is it forces us to turn to God. That's what it does. Lamenting forces us to turn to God, and God is the greatest good in the universe. He's the greatest good in the universe. So, is there pain and evil and sin and suffering in the world? Yes, there is. Does it seem like our our country is spinning out of control? Sure. I was reading something recently about a a mob that surrounded some law enforcement officers. And things got out of hand really fast. And the law enforcement officer ended up shooting into this crowd and and five people died. What I was reading about occurred on March 5th, 1770. It's known as the Boston Massacre. In other words, before our nation had independence, things in our country many times we're spinning out of control. And then from Concord, Massachusetts to 96 South Carolina to lots of battles and skirmishes all over the place. While the war for our independence was going on, things were spinning out of control in our country. And over the last 245 years, through many wars and many battles, many political battles and social battles, many pandemics, many health issues, many lots of things, Our country has had times where it felt like it was spinning out of control. King Solomon would say there's nothing new under the sun. But throughout history, especially our history as a nation, one thing has not been spinning out of control. One thing has been constant. One thing has been sure. One thing has been real. One thing has not changed. One thing will never change. And that is this. God is God and there is no other. For 245 years, that statement has never not been true. God is God and there is no other. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel is a mighty fortress. He is a never failing help and his kingdom and only his kingdom lasts forever and ever and ever and that God that God loves you that God loves you and he sent his son for you God by his sovereign design has chosen to deal with sin and evil and pain and suffering once and for all and he's chosen to do all of that through Jesus God sent Jesus to be the propitiation, the substitute for sin. The substitute for the one thing that will kill your soul over and over and over again to infinity and beyond. God sent Jesus to deal with sin once and for all. 
And God has promised that every person that believes in Jesus, the, the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus. I was watching something recently on TV and, and, and there was a moment in the, the show where they had visited a church and they came out and, and the comment was made, I can't believe these people are acting like this. They're supposed to be Christians. They're not thinking normal. And the other character said, Christians have not thought anything normal for 2,000 years. It's true. At least to the world's eyes. What we believe is not normal. But it's true. By the grace and mercy and power and love of God, it is true. And what's true is that God has promised in Jesus, through Jesus, that everyone who believes in and keeps believing in, keeps trusting, keeps relying on, keeps clinging to Jesus, that person, though all hell should endeavor to shake, though all political battles shall endeavor to shake, though all social injustice and stress and strain and fear and health issues, though everything in the world should endeavor to shake, that person, that person will not die forever. They will not be destroyed forever. Rather, through Jesus, that person will gain eternal, everlasting life. And they'll keep gaining it and keep gaining it and keep gaining it in and through Christ. That person will be saved. And the effects and the impact of sin and evil and pain and suffering will not visit them forever. You see, the ultimate problem in the world is sin. The ultimate problem in the world is sin. The root of all sin and evil and social injustice and suffering and pain, all of it, the root of it, is on the inside, not the outside. The Christians and non-Christians, we fight against that. We're, we're convinced that our sin is our spouse's fault. We're convinced that our sin is our parents' fault or our kids' fault. We're convinced that the sin in the world is all the president's fault and all the politicians' fault. We're convinced that sin in the world has nothing to do with us. It always is someone else. It's always something else. Now more than ever, that seems to be our mantra. But this is what Jesus said. Mark chapter 7. For from within, out of the heart of men and women and boys and girls, proceed the evil thoughts the fornications, the thefts, the murders, the adulteries, the deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Guess what? We were all in that list. All of us. We were all in that list somewhere. And then Jesus said this, all these evil things proceed from within. That's why we lament. We lament, we mourn, we, we grieve, we, we do a unique type of Christian crying because we know that our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to wander. Jeremiah is looking out over a destroyed city. It was a city that was once full of life and people. And now it's full of pain and suffering and death. C.S. Lewis said this, pain insists upon being attended to. We can't ignore pain. We can't. 
It might be the pain of, of changes at work or changes at school or, or changes at church or, or changes in your community or, or changes in your country. It could cause pain in your life. The pain could be caused by an irresponsible spouse or an impossible spouse or an indifferent child or a rebellious child. The pain, it could be caused by a sciatic nerve. It could be caused by chemo. It could be caused by a death in your family. But pain insists on attention. Pain demands attention. We, we cannot escape pain. Lewis goes on to say this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. See, God wants us to hear him most in our pain. See, when things are comfortable, when things are good, guess what? We just go to the beach and we just go to the lake and we just hang out. We don't feel this pressing need for God. But when everything is falling apart, people reach out for God. I heard someone who this week who's, who claims to be an atheist said, I don't know if there's going to be a line in heaven, but if there is going to be a line, this guy's going to jump ahead. <laughs> and I was like, well, if you don't believe in God... Why is it that you're speaking of heaven? You know why? Because we do believe in God. We do. The strongest atheist has been created for one purpose, to worship and enjoy God. If they're not worshiping and enjoying God, they'll be worshiping something, but they've been created to enjoy God. Pain causes God to shout. He gets louder in our pain. And then Lewis says this, pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Deaf world meaning the world is not listening. Deaf world meaning the, the world's not paying attention. Why is Jeremiah standing on the sidewalk looking at a city destroyed, full of rubble and ruin? It's because they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't respond. Jeremiah, at this point, had been preaching for 40 years, okay? I've been here six, all right? Jeremiah had been preaching for 40 years, and the people were not listening. They, they weren't responding. He had been telling them over and over again, guys, we're living in the power of pride. This is how we're functioning. We're functioning in the power of pride. They were living outside of their human identity, they were living outside of their spiritual identity. They were living in the identity of their pride. They were living in the identity of their personal preferences. They were ignoring that they had been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. They were living in pride. They were living in sin. And they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. Like they wouldn't admit it. That they thought everything was fine. They didn't think anything was wrong. They were obsessed with work. They were obsessed with school. They were obsessed with sports and entertainment and leisure and vacations and holidays. They were obsessed with life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And all of those things are great. They're fantastic unless you're pursuing them outside of God. If you're pursuing any of those things first or most, they're not great. They're dangerous. But if you're pursuing those things from an overflow of pursuing God first and most, all of those things become fantastic. The danger is 
when we pursue them instead of God. When they become our worship instead of reflections of blessings from God. What we see as we walk through the book of Lamentations is what pride can do to you. But we will also see as we journey through Lamentations the ultimate answers for the problems in our country, the ultimate answers for the problems in our community, the ultimate answers for the problems in our church, the ultimate answers for the problems in our life. And all of those ultimate answers come down to one answer. One answer that becomes the answer to all of the sin and the pain and the evil and the suffering in the world. And here's the answer. Turn to God. Turn to God. It's the answer we'll see over and over and over again. It's the only answer that has been ringing since the garden till now. Turn to God. Instead of getting bitter with anger and bitter with fear, instead of being hopelessly depressed, turn to God. We will see that lamenting keeps teaching us to turn to God, to complain to God, to ask God, and to trust in God. Mark Burgop says this, We believe in God's power to deliver. We know the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And that, that's where lamenting comes in. See, lamenting is a way for us to turn to God and to pray and to remember as we pray this one truth that we'll remember just a moment through the bread and the cup, this truth, and here's that truth, Jesus is returning he will make all things right. That's the promise that lamenting helps us see. Lamenting helps us remember who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And if someone says, well, how do we know if Jesus is coming back? Isn't this all a fairy tale? Well, everything about the first arrival of Jesus came true just like it said it would. So we have every reason to believe that his second arrival will be just as true. Jesus is returning. He will make all things right. Vrogop goes on to say this, Christians don't just mourn, we long for God to end the pain. That's what we do, right? We long for God to end the pain. Whatever that pain is, we long for God to end that pain. And God can end that pain, and only God will end that pain. Listen, your favorite politician your favorite pastor, your favorite parent, your favorite weekend pal will not end your pain. Your favorite physician will not end your pain. They can't. Only God will ultimately and finally end sin and pain and evil and suffering. He's the only one that can do that. And in a sense, he's already done it through salvation in Jesus Christ. He's already done it. I was reading a story this week about a, a teacher who was taking a group of other teachers on a tour of New York State. Specifically, they were touring Revolutionary War sites, battle sites. And every stop along their tour, in other words, they'd get to a new battle site, and whoever their tour guide was at the new site, inevitably somewhere in their presentation, they would say, and this was the turning point in the war. 
So it got kind of funny after a while because every single battle was a turning point in the war, but, but that can't be possible. There's only one turning point. Sure, all of those battles were significant, but everybody can't be a turning point. But I loved what this lead teacher said about it. The observable phenomena is that the American Revolution is the foundational event for the creation of this country, and everyone wanted to connect their community to that event. This is what he said. By claiming to be the turning point, these people were proudly declaring and affirming their identity as Americans. You know why Jerusalem fell? Because they quit affirming their identity in God. They quit declaring that their identity was in God. God's people. They wouldn't turn and pray. God's people, not the, not the non-church-going people, not the liberal crazies, not the conservative psychopaths. No, no, God's people. God's people, they refused to turn to God. They refused to seek God. They refused to change their wicked ways. It was God's people. So if we were to modernize that, we might ask the question this way. In July of 2021, how are we doing as Christians with our identity? Are we declaring and affirming that we are Christians? Is our identity in Christ first and most? Or are we lost in every other definition of identity that's out there in the world? From sexual orientation to political orientation to your favorite sports team. We're losing our identity in Christ because we are finding our identity all over the place. And the reality is, that is at least one of the major reasons why Jerusalem fell, why the city was lonely, why the full city went empty. So can we do anything about that? Is, is there anything we can do, anything we can change? Is there something we can do, beginning right now, that can change things at home, that can change things at church and school and work, that can change things in our community, that can change things in our country, and dare I say change things in the world? Is there anything we can do? Yes, there is. And here it is. Lament. That's what we can do. We can lament. We can turn to God. We can complain to God. We can ask God. We can trust God. And that math is the math that God has called us to. And when God's people ignore that math, the city is lonely and discouraged and defeated. Dear Christian, you have been uniquely saved. Therefore, you are uniquely free to lament. Crying is human. But lamenting is Christian. And as believers, lamenting is one of the boldest, most exciting ways that we can live out our freedom as Americans. Let's say that again. Lamenting is one of the boldest, most exciting ways that we can live out our freedom as Americans. Why? Because lamenting is our way of saying to the world, we 
believe in God's power to deliver. Lamenting is our way to take our freedom and say to the world, we believe in God's power to deliver. We believe in God's power to deliver. Do you believe? Do you believe? Jesus died to set us free. And he died so that every day, all day, no matter what comes our way, we can lament and in freedom say, we believe in God's power to deliver. We believe.